You and your boys didn't just roll a star market over in Malden for a box of quarters. Welcome to Impressions of America. I'm Simon, and with me as always are Toby and Vaughn. Hi guys. Hi Simon. Hey Simon. Today we're continuing our America on Film series by looking at Boston on Film, and I'm pleased to say that to help us we're joined by a special guest and good friend of Vaughn, fellow history and movie lover, uh, Jeff Lucia. Uh, Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey guys, Simon, Toby, Vaughn, thank you so much for having me. I'm wicked jazzed about talking about <laughs> Boston movies. We just got to throw in that little reference right off the jump. Okay, well, th- that does actually set us up quite nicely because uh, I didn't tell the guys in advance, but before we go any further, um, Jeff, you actually know uh, Boston Vaughn, which is a, a slightly different Vaughn than the rest of us oh. know. We, we only know ultra-professional Vaughn. So oh, no. I, I was wondering, could you maybe uh, introduce us to Boston Vaughn and any stories you might have? Uh, Boston Vaughn is incredible. Just want to say that. Um, we both love just like the sophistication of, you know, how Boston is portrayed both in movies and in real life. We spend a lot of time in Boston together. We saw, we've seen a living beetle at Fenway Park in concert, one of the best days of my life. Um, and so I think, you know, experiencing the city with Vaughn is just an amazing, incredible experience. Fantastic. Aww. Well, that, that, that was nice. I'm sure we'll hear more stories of Vaughn in Boston and what have you in the coming hour or two um and if any listeners haven't any of their own stories from um vaughn in boston please uh, feel free to, to write in and tell us if if you know of any any outings um so our, <laughs> so our previous episodes uh, was uh, new york on film and for that uh, toby vaughn and myself we, we picked three films each to talk about but today we've um, we've collected six films to uh, talk about uh, rather than just picking three each. So we'll we'll get we'll get through that um, the process of unveiling them shortly. But the, the three main themes that we'll be talking about is uh, crime, uh, blue collar, working class, and academia. And um, Vaughn, you've kindly put together a mini history of uh, sort of modern Boston to help us uh, get up to speed. But before that, uh, Jeff, I'd just like to start by uh, asking a question of you. Um, on our last episode, when we were doing New York on film, uh, one of the things that kept coming up was this idea of New York is never just one thing and it is complex and it's vast and there's always different stories kind of being told and kind of evolving, not just in on film, but in real life as well, as far as how the neighborhoods evolve. Whereas... Boston on film, it seems a much more singular narrative and a a much more singular identity around this very Irish Catholic working class city that's built around key institutions such as the Catholic Church and the Boston PD and Boston Globe. Um, So with that in mind, what does the the term Boston on film mean to you and how does that compare to other cities such as New York on film? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a great question. I mean, I should say right now, I'm living in New York City right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I often think of, you know, not just the parallels between New York and Boston, but definitely what makes them different. Um, I mean, I've been living in New York for the past four and a half years, I would say. Yeah, four and a half years, almost five. Um, And it's such a vast city and it's it never ends. And you can go into each different borough, each different neighborhood and have completely different look and feel of it. Um, and it's just so unfathomable, like the diversity of the city. 
um, you really feel just like an, a, a little ant, just like kind of venturing around. Um, I love to describe Boston as the small town feel in a big city. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean like, and speaking to what you were saying earlier, Simon, like there are so many different like institutions in the city. And a lot of them are reflected in the films that we're going to talk about. You know, you have the the underworld version of Boston where you have like these like old school crime bosses uh, kind of running things behind the scenes. And then you have the view of like the Irish Catholic working class blue collar person in Boston. And you also have like the highbrow, sophisticated, educated part of Boston, um, you know, represented by like MIT, Harvard, Boston College. Um, but I think what really makes a really good Boston movie, especially like if you want to capture that atmosphere, is really painting a picture that like all of these different you know, institutions are really tied together by people. Um, like it's not uncommon if you talk to somebody in Boston where like even if they're a cop, they're going to know someone who was like a gangster. They're going to know someone mm-hmm. who is a priest. They're going to know someone who like works at Boston Sand and Gravel, uh, which is a very like big like construction company. Um, it's just such a tight knit community. And I think that the films that, in my view, are really good Boston films really captured that feeling that like everyone knows each other and there's such a big community feel of it. But at the same time, there's also this feeling of, uh, I think like geographical superiority where it's like there's an inherent distrust of people who are not from Boston. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we'll, we'll talk about that in some of our films that are more in the recent depictions of the city, where it's like you have this clash between the older generation of folks in Boston who, you know, grew up there, lived there their whole lives, uh, they're Boston natives. Then you have this influx of people who are coming from other states, from the suburbs, who work in like education, law, pharmaceutical industries. And that leads to like, you know, the gentrification of the city. And I think the more recent films definitely get into that clash of the generations. Um, and then I think some of the films in our list also depict that very, very well. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, just just a very quick comment on that. I th- think one of the, the things we'll see in, in the films we've picked is in some of them, you will see this identity of um, outsiders coming in and, and viewing Boston and being viewed by people from Boston in a very, you know, they're not one of us, uh, a sort of approach to the, the city, whereas New York, you know, you, you maybe get more of an impression that if, if someone moves to New York and lives in New York and experiences the, the day-to-day um, um, sort of full experience of New York, they become a New Yorker, whereas the impression I get is you only kind of become a, a true Bostonian if you've kind of lived in your parents house who which was your grandparents house which was you know kind of passed on from past generations and you've really tied yourself down so yeah that, that i'm sure we'll, we'll touch on that a bit more later um vaughn did you want to um help intro- introduce our audience to some of the background of boston do i want to absolutely simon um all right so i'm gonna try to keep this as chronological as possible but it does jump around a little bit just to keep it kind of condensed um, cause again, Simon gives me this impossible task of summarizing the history of an entire city over 70 years in only a couple minutes. Yeah. So heaven forbid we should get the historian to do some work. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> Starting in the immediate post-war, um, right at the end of the war, the economy in Boston was in a downturn. So factories that Boston used to be um, through the 1800s and early 20th century 
um, Boston was kind of bustling with factories, but a lot of these factories shut down at the end of the war and moved south because labor was cheaper in the south. Um, Boston has four main kind of contributors to its economy that are going to be really important throughout all of this. So Boston has excellent banks um, in the financial district. Boston has excellent hospitals, excellent universities, and an excellent kind of um, class of technical laborers. But with the factories moving out of the city um, in the post-war period, late 40s, early 50s, none of these kind of sectors were high grossing in the US economy as a whole. So Boston was in an economic downturn for a long time. Um, in, the in the early 1950s, they decided to um, kind of approach this economic shift with urban renewal as a lot of cities around the country were doing in the immediate post-war period. So Boston has this kind of tendency to start demolition um, and then change plans after demolition has occurred. So in the 50s, they started demolishing districts of the South End, um, the Old West End, Jewish and Italian neighborhoods predominantly, and Scully Square. So this move obviously displaced thousands of people and closed hundreds of small businesses. Um, and it was met with obviously like ferocious backlash and protest from a lot of these communities. And that kicks off the historical preservation that Boston is famous for now. Um, but coming back a bit, in the place of all of those, those districts that were demolished, they built the headquarters for the Boston Herald, um, Charles River Park apartment complex, extensions for Massachusetts General Hospital and government center. So again, none of these would actually kind of contribute to the economy in the post-war period. Um, one of those projects, the Columbia Point Public Housing, was completed in Dorchester in 1953. And in 66, they had the first community health center in the country. Um, so we're gonna come back to that in a little bit. But um, another kind of mass project that Boston's famous for is their infrastructure. So Massachusetts um, and Boston specifically have a huge kind of history with large scale transportation projects. So in 1948, um, the plans were published for the mass master highway for metropolitan Boston. Um, this demolished parts of the financial district, Chinatown and the North End. Um, by 61, they had completed the central artery in the North End. The central artery is like the main part of this, this massive highway. And it was supposed to run all the way through central Boston. Um, from north to south. And by 61, people were sick of this project because it was announced in 48. Um, and they eventually moved the southern part of the highway underground. Um, in 65, the Mass Turnpike extension was completed to South Station, so it connected um, Boston even more to outside cities um, and to the rest of the state. And in 71, public protests won again. And instead of routing I-95, which is the interstate that runs the entire length of the East Coast through central Boston, uh, the already demolished areas, because again, they demolished things and then changed their plans. Uh, they were used for Amtrak's Northeast Corridor. So that, um, again, also connected Boston to the rest of the East Coast. And that's 
kind of a theme that's going to keep coming up um, throughout this history as well. So turning to crime um, and going backwards a little bit. During World War II, anti-Semitism was rampant in Boston. Um, the largest demographic in Boston was and is still Irish Catholic. And anti-Semitic uh, anti violence against Jewish cemeteries and synagogues, Jewish-owned businesses and homes, and Jewish people themselves escalated with very little intervention from the Boston police force, which was also largely made up of Irish Catholics. So that's another trend that um, is definitely going to come up in a lot of the films that we're talking about, that the, the Boston police have at least a perceived history of not intervening or being corrupted um, when faced with kind of the, the rampant crime that is within Boston. So one of these is from 1955 to the present, the Winter Hill Gang. Um, they've operated for the last 60 or so years as a confederation of organized crime, predominantly made up of members of Irish descent. Um, some people are still or are um, of Italian descent, even in the leadership throughout the years, but it's predominantly part uh, or considered part of the Irish mob. Um, this gang is also credited with introducing drugs to South Boston and has ties to the IRA, with one of its most famous members being Jimmy Whitey Bulger, um, who may come up in our discussion. Um, some other important criminal things to mention. In 1950, the Great Brinks robbery was committed, which was at the time the largest bank heist in the United States at $2.775 million stolen. Um, again, that was 1950. From 1962 to 63, there were at least 13 murders of single women from um, the Boston Strangler. And uh, another criminal highlight, 1990, uh, had the largest art theft in modern history uh, in Boston, or occurring in Boston. So 12 paintings collectively worth over $100 million were stolen from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum by two thieves dressed as police officers, um, and the paintings were never recovered. Shifting a bit towards racism and discrimination in Boston, in 1965, an investigative study of property tax assessment uh, revealed that there was rampant racism in the valuation of market value differentiations in the neighborhoods of Roxbury and West Roxbury, uh, with a markdown of 17% for the latter. So this finding and other transgressions by the Boston Housing Authority went against numerous state and federal legislations, including an executive order by uh, Massachusetts boy, President JFK from 1962, requiring all federal agencies to prevent racial discrimination in all federally funded subsidized housing in the US. Um, the BHA Boston Housing Authority was also uh, also actively segregating public housing developments into the late 60s. So the demographics of Boston, as I've said, um, they have a, a long history of contention uh, along religious and racial lines, including the Irish, the, um, the Italians, the, the Jewish residents and black residents of the city. There's a lot of contention um, between these groups and still to an extent is to, there is today. Um, 
one last point in 1965, a study of public schools found that there was a racial imbalance in public schools uh, as many resisted integration. So as a result, Governor John Volpe enacted a law to withhold state funding from any schools with um, non-white, quote, quote unquote, non-white enrollments uh, greater than 50% across the state. And then from 74 to 76, there were at least 40 riots resisting a Supreme Court ruling um, from Morgan v. Hennigan that ordered desegregation in busing to integrate schools. So now we're in the 70s. Uh, Boston finally, after about 30 or so years, um, is seeing an economic return in the 70s. So all of those assets of Boston that I mentioned before, um, the financial institutions, universities, hospitals, and technical skills, they all suddenly become more profitable. So you have financial restrictions in the 70s and into the 80s uh, receiving fewer restrictions and they begin to boom. Um, Boston becomes a leader in the mutual fund industry. Healthcare becomes more expensive and Boston's main hospitals being Mass General, uh, Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center and Brigham and Women's Hospital led the nation in like medical innovation uh, and patient care. Higher ed becomes more expensive in the 70s and enrollment increases, meaning Harvard, MIT, Boston College, Boston University and Tufts attracted young students to the city, many of whom crucially stayed to work in the financial districts, hospitals, and universities. And MIT, their grads founded high-tech companies in Boston, making Boston second only to Silicon Valley in tech innovation in the 80s, 90s, and um, still today. So Boston companies um, and companies along the East Coast partnered with universities such as MIT and Harvard to mimic the connections that West Coast companies had with say um, Stanford and Berkeley. So by the mid eighties, take a breath. Okay. By the mid eighties, the city is again tackling urban renewal um, and turned federal housing projects uh, such as the one I mentioned earlier, the Columbia Point complex. Um, they turn those over to private developers and this kicks off um, a chain around the country of selling formerly federal and state held public housing to private developers. Um, Columbia Point was one of the, or was the first one and received so many awards for this, for the innovation um, and excellence in conversion to mixed income housing. The mid eighties also turned a new mass transit kind of project that is called the quote unquote big dig. Um, it started construction in 1991 and this project lasted 16 years until 2007 uh, and moved the remainder of the central artery that I mentioned uh, earlier, the central artery that was above ground in the Northern end, they moved that underground. They widened the North-South highway and created local bypasses to prevent East-West traffic from congestion um, which is another thing Boston is famous for. And it also created the Ted Williams tunnel, tunnel and the Zakim Bunker Hill Bridge, uh, as well as over 70 acres of public parks in the center of the city. 
It is the most expensive construction project that has ever been undertaken in US history at an estimated $24.3 billion. And it still has not totally relieved the notorious traffic in the city. Um, Logan International Airport was developed. The BRT, mass transit and other commuter rails were created and expanded. So that's the history up until about the 90s to early 2000s. And now I'm gonna turn it over to Jeff to finish out our history and bring us up to today um, as someone from the area who would know this much better. Jeff. Thank you so much, Vaughn. So, so yeah, the 21st century in Boston was a huge turning point in the city's history. You know, at this point, Boston is definitely on the upward trend of economic development. There are more, you know, people from all different states moving to the city, being educated and staying in the city. Um, so there's a huge uh, change in both like, you know, the business structure of the city as well as the political structure of the city as well. Um, so just a few notes towards the uh, first part of the 21st century. Um, in the early 2000s, the Boston Globe, so like the premier newspaper in the city was acquired by the New York Times. We're gonna talk a lot about journalism uh, in Boston in one of our movies today, Spotlight. Um, and other businesses as well became a lot more integrated with uh, businesses around the country. So businesses like Bank of America were setting up branches in Boston, um, Procter and Gamble as well. And the company Gillette in the early 2000s uh, really had a strong foothold in Boston as well. So there's a lot of uh, business development there. Uh, and at the same time, a lot of social changes change as well. Um, we were talking about how, you know, this new influx of people, of wealth was coming into the city at the same time that led to gentrification. So like these people who have been living in the city for generations and generations uh, were now clashing with these new, young, educated folks who are moving in. And that, of course, comes with gentrification. You see these old uh, textile mills that no one has used anymore in the city be raised to the ground and that they have new apartment complexes popping up. Um, you have this totally new, hip, very yuppie scene in Boston coming up in the 21st century. And then with that comes a lot more you know, progressive politics. Uh, in 2004, Massachusetts became the first state in the United States to legalize gay marriage. Of course, May states followed suit. And now, of course, we have you know, national legalization of gay marriage across the United States. Uh, and then probably the most recent event that happened in Boston that really put it on the world stage um, is 2013. You have the uh, Boston Marathon bombings. That was a big tragedy in the city, um, but it really caused a lot of people to come together in the city and across the United States around Boston. Um, so I think that definitely led to a renewal in pride uh, in the city of Boston. So, I mean, right now we have this whole um, collection of people who are proud to be from Boston, but at the same time in the city, there's still that clash between the people who have always been there, the people who are coming in and trying to take over the place. Um, I think that definitely speaks to a lot of the themes we're going to talk about in the movies today. Great. Well, thank you both for that. That was really enlightening. I feel like I sort of know Boston now rather than just uh, knowing it from, from seeing it in a few films. Um, we, we have six films to go through and they will touch on various themes, but the, the first one we're going to talk about is Goodwill Hunting from 1997, directed by Gus Van Sant and uh, written by the, the leads, uh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Uh, best Supporting Actor um, was uh, won the following year by Robin Williams uh, for his uh, portrayal as the psychologist who uh, deals with uh, Will Hunting, who is the main character played by Matt Damon. 
um and it was i suppose a, a launching pad for the, the the two young actors and really uh, propelled them uh, into into hollywood fame um when they when they won the best original screenplay for the film so the, the film deals with the main character as i said uh, will hunting who is a uh, genius um i suppose genius is almost an insult to his level of intelligence he can just uh, solve things at will at a, at a sort of level that is incomprehensible even to the very smartest people around him but he's working as a janitor at MIT when, when the film starts and he's solving problems math equations on on, on chalk chalkboard uh, walls uh, sneakily doing that and uh, confusing all the, the very intelligent uh, professors who are uh, uh, not understanding why someone is able to uh, to do these things yet not take credit for it and that, that leads us into the, the dual life of uh, Will Hunting, who is um, living this sort of South Boston existence with his, his buddies, his close friends, um, while at the same time he is um, showing off this um, remarkable intellect that he has. I don't know who, who wants to kick this off. Um, I, Jeff, do you want to kind of maybe introduce uh, Good Will Hunting a little bit more? And as, as we'll t- you'll see later on, this is the the earliest film chronological we have as far as uh, when it was filmed so this this was filmed and it came out in 1997 there were some films set in boston before that but we, all the films we're going to talk about uh, all came out afterwards um so uh what what would you like to, to start with with goodwill hunting jeff um so i first want to start with a little like context into like kind of movies in boston um at Logan International Airport. So Bon was talking about the major airport in Boston. Um, in one of their terminals, there's this long hallway that's actually an, an exhibit of like movie posters of all the movies that are filmed in Massachusetts. And there are dozens and dozens of them. Um, I know we'll talk about like a lot of movies that were not included on like our final list, but you know, even before Goodwill Hunting, there's a whole variety of films set in Massachusetts. But I, I think the reason that it's good to start with this one today is because I think Google hunting is really like a lot of people's reference point, both people from Boston, both people from outside Boston, uh, when they think of what is your quintessential Boston movie. Um, you know, everyone talks about the Boston accent. Everyone talks about MIT, uh, you know, filming in the, uh, the Boston common, a lot of local locations, you know, the feeling of this tight knit community of friends Um I think it's definitely the first movie in our list to really nail down this whole, you know, vibe that people get when they think of what Boston means on film. Yeah, it's um, it's the the authenticity of the of the movie. Like if 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 we started with a film like The Verdict, for example, by Sidney Lumont, it's just a film set in Boston, but Boston is just the background. It's not about Boston or the people in Boston or the, sort of the authentic lives. And I think one of the really great things about Goodwill Hunting as well is this is it, it sets that tension between South Boston and MIT all in the life of Will Hunting himself. So Will Hunting is obviously he's, he's with his friends and, you know, they're, they're just being kids, um, going, getting into fights, uh, hanging out in bars Talk, talking to girls and then they they walk into this bar which is a harvard bar and it you know it, uh, ben affleck's character says well i thought there was going to be all these like math equations in, in this bar so it was emphasizing mm-hmm. 
the distance between them and the people in Harvard. And he tries to chat up some some Harvard girls and and the foreignness actually of 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 um of this MIT sort of uh, Harvard sort of elite education is the is the fact that you know one of the girls is 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 English, and then Ben Affleck's character is accosted by this really preppy uh, sort of undergrad um, who is who's actually like. It's almost like uh, classism. It's a, he's really prejudiced towards Ben Affleck. He even goes on to describe how Ben Affleck's character is going to be, you know, a, a bus boy for um, his character when his character comes in and is, is going off to a skiing holiday or something like that. So there's the, there's that tension. And I think what one of the really great things about this movie is that Will Hunting's a mathematical ability although it's like obviously amazing it's kind of like a strange algorithm like no one really knows why he can do this it's not like an anime where like he's studying really hard to get out of south boston to become this sort of mit graduate he just solves problems that whole auditoriums of MIT graduates who are from all over the world can't solve. The, the, the field, um, the professor who's, who's won the field medal for mathematics, he can't solve it as well. And Will just solves it. And it's easy to him. And even, and even the professor in one moment says, there are, there's almost like no people in the world who could tell the difference between my level of intelligence and your level of intelligence. But unfortunately, I'm one of the few people who can. But Will isn't a sort of established enough individual who's confident enough in in himself to not only just recognize this, but take take, um, the opportunities that, that are afforded to him. But I think one of the really great things about this movie is that it's not like an anime. It doesn't present Will's coming to MIT and succeeding as an expression of, you know, his will almost. It's it's much more about him talking to the the, the therapist uh, introduced here in, with Robin Williams' character and thinking about his past and solving emotional issues that he has to become a, a better person. And it doesn't. It and it doesn't, you know, look at Southie and and try and tr- tries to diminish any of those characters characters either. It's much more about personal development mm-hmm. across this widening gap between the the Irish Catholics uh, in Boston and then the sort of MIT graduates in Boston as well. And as sort of as as Vaughan has, has talked about, one of this 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 tension is. is it's really interesting because if you look into the history of Boston, you, the Irish Catholic aspect of Boston, especially like since the 1970s, isn't really inputted into the economic history of Boston. The economic history of Boston is almost totally the, the MIT side, the, the increase of professional services, education, all this stuff. And then sort of the Irish Catholics are sort of left behind. Uh, the inequality grows in the area. But all the movies are about the Irish Catholics when all the economic history is about this MIT place. And, and what's really interesting in this movie is, is that Will is really like 
the center point for this for this 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 real gulf between these two um these almost like these these two parts of american culture at the time and but what i really love about this movie is it doesn't really pick a side is like this this side's better than this side it it really just introduces will's progression to become this this sort of better better person someone who could deal with his his past and his issues and and someone who who but also someone who's quite integrated into the culture that he he belongs to and, and doesn't really like do any kind of disservice you know I, I think it's a really great movie and it's a really great movie for that for the tensions that um Vaughan had, had brought up in her in her history yeah I I really agree with you Toby um and all three of you have said this in a way and I'm going to steal Simon's words that it's kind of like a dual life of Will Hunting in this that he is so ingrained in the community of Southie um, and then also kind of dipping his toe into what his life could be if he had pursued the kind of academic side of it. And he's getting all of these job offers that um, Stellan Skarsgård, the professor at MIT mm-hmm. is offering him. Um, and he sends Ben Affleck to go in his state, in his place <laughs> to one of them for a great scene. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not, about that it's not about the kind of economic side or what he could be or the potential that he has and there's this great blowout scene between Stellan Skarsgård and Robin Williams characters um in Stellan Skarsgård says don't infect him with the idea that failure is okay and Robin Williams retorts I don't blame you you mathematical dick which is a great line and should be referenced um but it's just this very kind of powerful scene of the the two like the humanity in Robin Williams that he's trying to help Will Hunting achieve to kind of work through his childhood traumas and being um, abused as a kid and in and out of foster homes. He's trying to help him through that while Stellan Skarsgård is like, I don't care if he works through that. He can deal with that on his own time. He has to help the world because he has this incredible gift. Yeah. And that that's like the two kind of sides of, of humanity, I guess. Um, I really, really love this, this movie. And I especially love that scene that you highlighted, Toby, in the Harvard bar early in the film with the, the asshole grad student He's a history grad student. He's like, oh, I think you could tell me about the economy of the Southern colonies pre-revolution. And it's like, fuck you. You know, like he sucks. Um, And he's plagiarizing some obscure passage from one of his reading lists. And Will Hunting just like pushes Ben Affleck aside and is like, let me lay some knowledge on you and absolutely trashes this guy with perfect historical analysis. Um, And then also lambasts. Gordon Wood, who yes. <laughs> for any of our for any of our um, super nerdy academic historian listeners, um, that's very funny for you because of what has happened recently on Twitter, and no one else will understand that reference. But that's for you guys. I'm doing that for you. I it's great. Gonna, great. I was going to ask uh, Vaughn how much of a fantasy is it for you to just walk into a Boston bar and just lay down historical knowledge on someone who's been an ass. Is that it is like... my dream, Simon. <laughs> Need to see that one day. <laughs> we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it. 
it's just so great i love it absolutely uh th- this was my my first introduction to boston on film uh when i was must have been I don't know, 10 11 12 whenever i first saw it on tv so th- this was my window into into boston on film and and seen you know this this mystical land called southie where these uh, these characters are from <laughs> and they're, they're hanging out and it's it, the the older i get the more it kind of crystallizes this idea of boston and this identity of boston not just because of the sort of the, the southie versus the, the, the academic side but this idea of processing trauma which we will see quite a lot in the in the films we're going to be uh going through and one of the, the kind of key relationships in the film is the robin williams character who is um who is helping um matt damon's character with the therapy and they, they sh- as vaughn mentioned they, they share this past of of going through uh, trauma from uh, parental figures and physical violence and um the, the therapist character himself was something of a genius when he was younger but um went down a more um normal life i guess you could say he didn't make, perhaps process the career of, of being a high rank high ranking academic like the mathematician was and one of when they're having that blowout scene um he's got stone Skarsgård does actually say you know you were smarter than me then and you're smarter than me now so don't blame me for how your life turned out and we see that tension between the robin williams character who recently lost his wife and who'd been in this loving relationship and had um given himself over to being more of a uh sort of a human as it were whereas the um the, the academic the mathematician he has lived his life with winning a field medal and having this preposterous little man follow him around and tell him how great he is and uh, <laughs> that, that that kind of thing so it, it's it's a real nice um tension between the two sides as you were mentioning toby this idea of the the the, the high mit side and then the, the southie side and the, the, the trauma that, that comes through in, in their 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 lives um it's yeah it's it's a great film and it's it's one that i keep coming back to uh year after year that strange little man That's is a teaching assistant yeah he but he, he's more than, more than a teaching assistant like there's the scene where they where um another mathematician is is like he can't solve a thing and he's like he's like uh you're a great man sometimes people just get lucky and it's like okay okay that's the job of teaching assistant simon is that what you're gonna is is that what you're gonna in a few years time you're just gonna like (laughs) you're gonna have someone sit next to you on the podcast and if you ever fuck up you can just it's okay simon just got lucky with his point you're still the best Paul. Bon, who's going to be your hype man? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you, Jeff. Oh, always. Every day. Every day. <laughs> I'll be like, my girl's wicked smart. My wicked smart. <laughs> wicked smart. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, there's the whole, whole Casey Athletic thing. I mean, we should probably touch on that as well. We will see this throughout throughout the films we're going to pick is um, the, the, the Affleck and Damon off it all. The these two actors who have ha- i mean you guys will know more than me seem to have had such a, a big impact on how um how boston on film has kind of proceeded over the next 20 years or so um jeff is there anything else you'd like to add on the either on the, the story of goodwill hunting or on the kind of the 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 legacy of it yeah definitely both i mean like you just said you know 
you know, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon were, you know, developing this movie together while they were very young. Mm -hmm. um, they really wanted to tell this story about like this duality of the city, you know, like the South Boston side and also like the highbrow education side. Um, I think that they did a fantastic job in like painting both sides of that. Um, and then something that comes to, to mind when I think of the movie is that kind of like one of the ending scenes with Affleck and Damon where Ben Affleck's telling Matt Damon, like, hey, you are a genius. And like, you don't owe it to yourself to pursue this. You owe it to me because like, I'm not a genius and I'm going to be here for the rest of my life. And I think that really paints a good picture as to like, you know, how, you know, the, this Irish Catholic population of Boston might feel where it's like, yeah, they grew up here their entire life. All they know is this part of the city and they just see themselves staying there. Um, and then you have these people like Matt Damon who kind of represent people who may have an opportunity to get out to quote unquote, get out of the city. Um, and I think that's just a great representation of like, you know, the mood of Boston around the time where this film was made. I yeah, think it's definitely the message it's, that resonates. It's really interesting that as uh, you guys have touched on it, the social mobility aspect of this, of these movies is, is not that high. It's not like New York where, you know, you could go there and you could, you know, be whatever you want that the, the the Irish Catholic community in Boston in the, in the wider Massachusetts um, is seen in, in many of these movies is quite stagnant you know I don't know necessarily if that's if that's tr completely true as with Matt Damon's character here a lot of people you know do you know they move out of um, smart kids move, do move out of Southie they they, they might not go to MIT, but they go to other parts of the country and, you know, and go to university and, and, and things like that. But I think um, in this movie, a lot is made of the fact that um, Will's, char Will's character can actually leave um, South Boston and, and can, you know, make something of his life. And when Ben Affleck's character is ref reflecting on that, it's, he does seem to feel like he does, you know, you, you owe this to, you know, to, to yourself to really go out there and, and do something. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to be here forever. Like the people in the, the, the fighter, like the people in the departed, you know, mm -hmm. this, is, this isn't going to change. Yeah. And I, 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 and I think the, for me, one of the really great things about this movie, and I think I mentioned it before is the fact that, Will's intelligence is is so arbitrary, and it it does seem like, you know, is it entirely fair that he can just have you know this life when the rest of these people have to stay here because they don't have this sort of gift that 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 he does, and he even you know when he's turning down the NSA um, job, he's saying that, you know, if I'm going to crack codes, that's going to hurt poor people you know, mm -hmm. in, in other countries that, that might hurt poor people from Southie who go all over to fight in those, uh, those countries uh, or poor, poor people from other parts of America who don't have the kind of opportunities that even people in Southie have and, and might, want the the jobs in the army as well so it's yeah it's it's and he even when he goes into um robin williams's 
study. You know, he's looking at all of his history books and he's like, actually, he has a left perspective on this. He's saying, oh, you guys, you guys, you guys own all of these books to try to make yourself seem smart, but you have the wrong books, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it, it, there is a real, I don't know, there's a real philosophy on life in this movie that, that I think comes out and it's, it's really refreshing. And, uh, and but one of the really interesting things about this movie as well is that it's probably the most authentic panoramic look at the, the, the city, in my opinion, especially because the rest of the movies that we kind of look at, apart from maybe um, Legally Blonde, the rest of the movies are just um, about the Irish Catholic communities forever staying as, as as they are, you know? Yeah, and I think that, that, that's a good point. I mean... Um... Von, what, what what were your thoughts kind of watching it back now as far as looking at the Boston of the, the late 90s and just the, the world as it was then compared to now? Or has, has Boston, you know, changed much? We talked about the gentrification and that kind of stuff, but was it still very much a Boston that you recognised? That's a good question. Um, yes, it was because most of my time spent in Boston was in the late 90s and early 2000s. So <laughs> that is the Boston I recognize from 1997. Um, no, I've been back there as an adult. And I would say that there's definitely been some economic development um, in the city and more money has been put into um, development of like the skyline for, for one. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that uh, I was there in like 2015, roughly and then a couple years later and there was a brand new high rise it wasn't even a couple years it was the next year it was 2015 to 2016 there was a brand new high rise on the harbor and i was like where did that come from and i was with jeff and jeff was like oh yeah that's brand new that was like yesterday like there's there's been a lot of development in boston um in recent years so on that front it's a bit different but from the 90s for the time, I think it's a great look at Boston. Um, I I think one thing to mention that we haven't explicitly yet is that there is this talk, like Ben Affleck is saying, um, he says, if you're still here in 20 years coming over to my house to watch the Patriots game mm-hmm. and work in construction, I'll fucking kill you. That's not a threat. That's a fact, which is a great friendship line. Like that is an incredible best friend. Mm-hmm. Um he says being here is a waste of your goddamn time because of the the gifts that he has but there's a crucial scene earlier with matt damon and robin williams in which he says robin williams says are you going to be a bricklayer the rest of your life and matt damon's like what's wrong with being a bricklayer that's honorable work and robin williams is like of course it's honorable but you're not doing it for the honor you're not a janitor at mit specifically because of the honor you're there for a reason what is the reason and it's that's a crucial scene for saying like we're not looking down on Southie or any of the residents there we're talking through this one character's kind of um reluctance to use the gifts that he he has which are manifold he could do absolutely anything um but yeah I think that's that's kind of my last point on goodwill hunting I think I, I was just going to quick before we move on, um, Jeff, as someone who no longer uh, lives in, in the Boston area, you're now in New York. 
um, th- this idea of sort of social mobility and moving away from Boston and you know having this this um, you know the, the the Will Hunting character has this opportunity to to leave Boston and start a new life and it, as someone who has left Boston yourself and in a larger city, how how much did that kind of resonate in your own experience? I mean, yeah, I think that you know the movie does a great job in. I think I know that Toby, you brought this up and kind of explained that this whole concept of social mobility is just really hard in the city of Boston, especially if you grew up in the city and particularly in South Boston. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that message is even more relevant today as, you know, these new high rises keep popping up, you know, Harvard, MIT become even more competitive and more and more young people who work in like healthcare, banking, uh, like uh, technological industries keep moving into the city. Uh, and then, like, you see this older generation pushed out of the city so that there's no longer, like, these young Will Huntings from South mm-hmm. Boston in the city. Now, those Will Huntings now are just a lot older. They're, like, in their 40s and 50s. And they're like, oh, I'm still here. I see these yuppies coming in from, like, New York, from Texas, from California, coming into, quote, unquote, my neighborhood. Um so I think like, you know, having now me having an outsider's perspective of that, that's all I notice in the city right now is just this older generation just being taken over by this new incoming influx of young people. Right. Um, shall we move on to the next film, which shares a, a academic um, perspective, although different, <laughs> different viewing, um, which is Legally Blonde. Which is wasn't a film I'd actually seen uh, until uh, we started doing the research. Although it was kind of the one once you'd seen clips and you were sort of aware of things. Um, it came out in two thousand one, and starred uh, Reese Witherspoon as uh, Ellie Woods or Elle Woods, and um, she's from um, South California, I believe, and she's um, she's envisioned as as this uh, blonde beauty from California who I think is a fashion student at, at the start of the film. And she has a, a, a sort of fashion marketing. A, a fashion marketing. And she has a, a boyfriend who is, uh, let's say, not the best person in the world. The fucking worst. Yeah. Who uh, breaks up with her. And I, th- I think he, he doesn't see her as the type of person he could marry because he's a complete dick. And um, she uh, takes it upon herself that she's going to go to Harvard Law School and become the type of person who could who could marry this governor's son um so from there we get her her journey to harvard law and to begin with it's a a difficult kind of transition as she moves into this this new lifestyle and then as the film progresses she becomes more comfortable with um who who she is and uh, the the world around her in harvard so uh vaughn um do you want to maybe just take it a little bit further as to why uh, we've picked this film yes i do um so yeah everything you just said is very accurate um she gets into harvard law and her awful ex-boyfriend still tells her you're not smart enough um and she says did we not get into the same law school like (laughs) off me um and then his new fiance says to her later on that he was on a waiting list and his dad had to make a call and it's such a mic drop what a great what a great twist. Um, but yeah, so this film is not particularly 
a Boston film, I don't think, but I love that it's on our list because I think this is the kind of Boston that Hollywood really wants to portray. Um, it, as you said, it came out in 2001, just four years after Goodwill Hunting in our first look at what Harvard and kind of MIT look like um, on a Hollywood screen. And this one has a very different feel to that because it's bubbly and it's bright and it's Reese Witherspoon being lovely and fantastic um, and breaking down kind of misogynist overtones of what an academic has to be, which side note, actually, I'm going to do this. So everybody gives her shit and like the admissions board at Harvard are like, why would we admit her? And they all look just shocked and appalled that she even applied and her guidance counselor at um the UCLA substitute school, I think it's called SCLA or something. Um, they're all like, you can't get into Harvard. She is the president of a massive chapter of a sorority at a UCL-esque school. She has a 4.0 at that school and she absolutely nails her LSATs with a 179. And she's also a fashion marketing major, which is a business degree. Mm-hmm. and. Everyone else in her little introduction circle at law school, none of them have a pre-law background. They're like, they're all in business or entrepreneurial or um, one of them has like a PhD in chemistry or something. Like, I don't understand why they paint her as such a bad candidate for Harvard Law when she is a brilliant candidate for Harvard Law but it plays into that whole like blondes are dumb and all of the stereotypical things that are broken down throughout the film. Um, She also says at one point, I hired a Coppola to do my admissions video. (laughs) A great line. Um, And she says, what, like it's hard that they're both there, which Simon didn't get when I messaged it to him. No, but I can't believe you haven't seen this film. So as I said, this is what Harvard, whatever this is what hollywood wants kind of boston to look like um i think it definitely also plays into what i said earlier in the history that boston was trying to mimic silicon valley at the turn of the century when they were kind of emerging and on the west coast you had companies partnering with berkeley and ucla and um stanford with within silicon valley and the their tech Um, opportunities. And on the East Coast, Boston was really trying to pull a power play and connect Eastern tech with um, MIT and Harvard. So I think this film is kind of a a vehicle for that, in a way. Um, I also think it's very interesting that no one in this film has a Boston accent at all. Mm -hmm. Not even the people who live in Boston outside of the the Harvard scenes and everything. Um, Jennifer Coolidge's character, Paulette, and her ex, Dewey, who they take the dog from, which is great. Um, None of them have a Boston accent. Which I guess Hollywood wants to kind of portray Boston as not having the accent. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe it was, I don't know, maybe too divisive for people too not from much. that area you know I, I, too I don't much know. in like how you like them apples like they, they, they didn't, it's too much for them well we're going to talk about some really bad boston accents Ooh. in a couple yeah. of other movies <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so i know you have 
no, I know you have some interesting notes on the production of Legally Blonde. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, we talked about how it is, the setting of the movie is Harvard, the greater Boston area. I was researching a lot about the production of this film in particular and realized that none of this movie is filmed anywhere near Massachusetts at all. Yep. That's fascinating. Like it's all filmed in Southern California, either at like um, UCLA, Caltech, um, Pasadena, California. So I think that definitely like leads to, you know, your point, Bob, where it's like, this is what Hollywood wants people to think of when they think of like Harvard and by extension, Boston, this like very squeaky clean, you know, pristine, glowy, everyone is, you know, well-educated, uh, very, you know, highbrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you guys, guys say that because like I can imagine like most of the movies set in Boston don't necessarily have to have this accented, authentic Boston feel to them. But then the, the, the ones that come to us as the best movies are sort of like Mystic Rivers and The Departed are always really steeped in that mm-hmm. Boston-ness, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is which is which is strange, I think. Yeah, I, I guess it in in this particular instance of a film, which although it is you know set around Harvard Law, you, you could change. I mean, it, that's partly I think because they want the fish out of water approach rather than her just going to Stanford or, or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But the film itself doesn't need to be in Boston, other than the fact they need to get her out of California to make her you know life a bit different to what she was experiencing. I mean she could have gone to another um another prestigious um law school which was kind of outside of her her life and outside of her comfort zone it's it's not like you know she's going drinking with um will hunting or anything you know she, she is she is separated from the the Irish Catholicness of of Boston as it were and she she's going through this experience and off um of the 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 law school and as you guys have said it's not really planting her in a real boston and uh, as jeff was mentioning you know if the film's getting uh, made in california you know makes perfect sense because you know if you don't need to ship your production up to boston you you know why would you and in fact even even uh, Goodwill Hunting, although parts of it were filmed in Boston, obviously other parts were filmed in Canada because you know you you don't need to be in the city to film interior shots, for instance, or you know a generic building. You know, you, you, as long as in something like Goodwill Hunting, you know you you will need to film parts of it in the city in order to get the authentic feel, not authentic scenes. But uh, in Goodwill Hunting, they have a, they go to a shop where they're trying on like funny teeth and. and, and having like a play date between the hunting character and his girlfriend and i think that was filmed in that shop was in canada you know it, it so I, I even something is sort of regimented in the world of boston is good or hunting it was only partly filmed in boston whereas i guess it makes sense that legally blonde had no filming done in in boston considering how separated it is from the the boston city life yeah, you always get that with with film and TV. Mm-hmm. Like even the Sopranos episode, the Pine Barrens, that that was shot in upstate 
New York and not in New Jersey. So yeah. <laughs> that's always a disappointment when they don't go yeah. to New Jersey. Yeah. And like we talked about last time, um, with the New York rear window was shot on a shot on a soundstage in Absolutely. Hollywood. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's so still- like about getting the best impression, you know. Sometimes mm-hmm. the, the actual place isn't the best place to get the most impressionistic feel of a place, which is weird, but yeah, and it's cinema, all, I guess. And it, you know, you see all the films that these days get filmed in Atlanta because of tax credit reasons and you know, what have you, and they, they transform Atlanta into whatever city it needs to be. Um, so I, I guess as far as a film production, they can always use movie magic to, to transform accordingly. Um, does anyone else have any thoughts on, on Legally Blonde? I have a fun fact. Okay. I was watching this with one of my best friends this week, and she told me that the thing that dates this film, that it could not, it's, it doesn't hold up anymore, is that the final verdict, the final court scene, Linda Cardellini says that she got a perm and then got in the shower, and Elwood's, mm-hmm. in true Elwood's fashion, goes you got a perm and then got in the shower, you got your curls wet, and that's how she proves a murder, which is fantastic. Um, But perm chemicals now don't require your hair staying dry. So this (laughs) film doesn't work anymore because of the... the, um, Advances in science. (laughs) Yeah, the advances in hair technology, which I think is the most, like, Legally Blonde thing to date this film, and I love that. I love that fact. So thank that you, Dave. Fan- that. that is fantastic. Well done. Wow, that's- so yeah. can lawyers no longer use the Legally Blonde precedent? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think they can. Which is they- oh, that's disappointing. And they can still use the Chewbacca defense, from what I understand from South Park, but um, they, <laughs> they can't use that one. Uh, Right. Do we want to move on to our next film then? Which I don't actually know which one we're wanting to to move on to. Uh, do you guys have a, a, a preference for what part of or what genre of, I, of Boston we're going to do next? I think we should go backwards in time, um, at least content-wise, and do Black Mass. Black Mass. Okay. Um, Vaughn, do you want to introduce Black Mass? Oh, sure. So Black Mass is. Um, about the Winter Hill gang that I mentioned earlier, the the gang that started in 1955 and is still active in some parts of Boston today. Um, In the late 70s, it was taken over by um, James, quote, Whitey Bulger, uh, who in this film is played by Johnny Depp. Uh, Whitey's brother was a state senator who in this film is played by Benedict Cumberbatch for some reason. And (laughs) this film has awful accents um, all the way through it that are deeply disturbing and really take you out of the film. So I think this is a good one to follow on from both to go back in time, talk about crime all the way through, but also um, following on from Legally Blonde that there were no accents in it, but we bought that it was Boston. Yep. Whereas in this one, the accent is not good for almost anyone. I think it's not good for anyone. Um, <laughs> and that, that took me out of the Bostonness of the film because I was so focused on why, why Benedict Cumberbatch chose to do JFK, but worse, like <laughs> terrible. Um, so anyway, Whitey Bulger, he's the crime boss um, of the White Winter Hill gang. 
and they're kind of warring with the Italian um, mafia from the northern side of the city. They're predominantly in Southie, um, the Winter Hill Gang. And one of their friends from growing up, uh, John Connolly, is now working for the FBI. And he gets in with Whitey and says, I need you to be an informant so that we can take down the Italian mafia. Um, and I'll give you helpful information for you. And Whitey really uses John Connolly, both in the film and in reality, uh, to kind of expand his territory. Um, they move from Boston to incorporating Miami into their, their crime uh, kind of escapades. And the whole film is about that relationship between John Connolly and uh, Whitey Bulger. Ultimately, the, the FBI is kind of just handing over um, too much to Whitey and he is not giving them anything in return. So one of the FBI agents who has become very uncomfortable with this relationship that John Connolly has with Whitey, he leaks the story that Whitey is an informant for the FBI. He leaks it to the Boston Globe. Um, and that kind of sets a tailspin for the Winter Hill Gang in the late 80s and 90s, I believe. Um, Whitey was not captured until 2011, but he was on the run for a good 12 or so years um, after the, the Boston Globe article went out. Um, and John Connolly was also arrested at the end of the film and in reality uh, in the 90s, and he was sentenced to 40 years in prison. And a fun fact about this one, he actually was just released from Florida State Prison um, on the 17th of February of this year to serve the remainder of his sentence at, in home confinement because of COVID. Uh, he had lost his appeal last year for it, but they finally granted it this year. So a bit of very recent news to mm. go on with this story. Um, yeah, who wants to pick that up? So I was just going to say, I'll throw it to Jeff in a second, but this is my, my first time watching this film. And as a historical document, I found it useful just to kind of understand. I, I didn't know the full relationship and the, the, this, this idea of the FBI basically just allowing them to, to run amok throughout the city because it was okay because we were bringing down the Italians, which was um, not something I was aware of. I, I knew he'd been an informer for the FBI. But as a historical document, I found it useful to have something which told a story um, which I could sort of plug into my knowledge of Boston and help me understand that a bit better. As a narrative film, I found it a bit difficult to really penetrate in any useful way because it's such a dark, depressing film and the tone is so dark and all the, most of the characters are just terrible and they're doing terrible things without any redeeming features. And I, I did appreciate the fact that, you know, it wasn't like a good fellas snappy fingers oh we're you know the first half of this film is actually kind of cool and then we'll, we'll show their downfall like from, from the get-go these are just terrible people doing ugly horrible things and so maybe it was difficult to to fully bring people into that world and make them um understand the characters more but i i did struggle to to break through with this film and uh connect on a, a human level and perhaps that's the 
perhaps in part that's what they were going for. I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but it, it, it would have been interesting, I guess, if we'd had a maybe more of an outsider character who was able to kind of break down the the film and be the the intro into this this world with fresh pair of eyes. But on both the FBI side and the the criminal side, they're sort of supposedly Boston born and they're all doing terrible things and it was it was just like a weighted blanket of awfulness and then on top of that as Vaughn said the accents weren't particularly good so I did find no, that I, I found that a bit difficult as well uh Jeff your thoughts on on Black Mass um yeah I'm very glad we include this film I think Simon you hit the nail right in the head where it's like it's it's so hard to access the characters in this film because they're all just terrible people um <laughs> it definitely serves as more of like you know a history lesson yeah right you know a lot of it's set in the 70s and 80s you know a very dark period uh in the city of boston's history um and one of the reasons why i'm very glad we have it on our list is because i think it really paints a good picture of like just like the, the interconnectedness of these different aspects of people in boston like you know whitey bulge the main character played by johnny depp his brother played by Benedict Cumberbatch, is the president of the Massachusetts State Senate, like a very powerful politician Mm -hmm. in the state. And they both grew up with John Connolly, played by Joel Edgerton, who's the FBI agent. And he knows other gangsters in Whitey's gang. Um, And like everyone just seems to know each other and not in a good way. Um, And just paints the picture like, you know, if you, you know, grow up in Boston, you're just more likely to stay there for better or for worse. And you're going to know people who know people who know people. And everyone's mm-hmm. kind of watching each other's backs. And um, especially in this time of Boston's history, where it's like you have these powerful people in different industries who are kind of like subconsciously looking out for each other. Um, it's just not really a positive point that a lot of Bostonians like to talk about. Um, you know, I remember back in 2011 when Whitey was captured. He, I think he was captured in like uh, Southern California. Um, it was the biggest story ever. Um, he was taken back to Boston to stand trial. His whole trial was just like monitored 24 seven. The courthouse was locked down, no one in or out. Um, and it just followed it every single day for like the next two years until his sentencing. Um, it just shows you like, when people hear Whitey Bulger and they associate with Boston, it's never a good thing. I mean, it's just a very dark time. If I can jump in there, I agree with you. And I remember that too, when Whitey was captured and it was just all over the news, even in Philly it was. Um, But I think one of the interesting things that they do capture in this film is that the people of Southie, like outside of Boston, people don't like Whitey, but the people of Southie did like Whitey. I remember my grandfather speaking well of Whitey Bulger when I was growing up. Uh, and when he was still on the run, I, I remember my grandfather talking about this, like, good for him. He's still on the run. Because um, he treated, it gives this kind of organized crime mentality of, like, you take care of the older people in your community and the kids. And mm-hmm. that's reflected in the film a lot. Um, Whitey, at the very beginning, like, goes up to this old woman and he's like, oh, my God, how are you doing? It's been so long. Um, and he his son dies from rise syndrome yeah and that's a very powerful scene of of whitey looking out for the kids but then uh in reality john Connolly was i think nine years younger than whitey um 
or somewhere around there. But, but he met Whitey when he was nine years old and Whitey was an, a teenager and maybe it was 10 years. He's like 19 years old. He's like already the head of the, the local gang in their community. And John Connolly, again, in reality, he was um, getting bullied by some kids. And Whitey came in and saved him from those bullies. So that's really where that kind of allegiance to him starts at a very young age, because one of these priorities of the Winter Hill Gang and lots of the gangs in Boston was to look out for the kind of more vulnerable people in your community. And it feeds back to that, that whole kind of mentality that Jeff has mentioned earlier um, about the communalism of Boston, that if you're from Southie, everyone's looking out for each other. Or if you're from Dorchester or uh, Charlestown, like you, you stay with your own kind of mentality. So I definitely agree that people outside of Boston and in other parts of Boston have a very grim view of Whitey, but I would challenge that people of, of Southie do have a kind of positive memory of him, at least to some extent. Hmm. I wonder if that's sort of similar to sometimes like the Al Capone um, image of, of each yeah. sort of well-liked within the city and giving milk to school kids and that, that kind of thing. Um, right. Is there anything else we'd like to add on, on Black Mass, which, um, yeah, it was 2015, it, it came out and um, it was it was an interesting viewing for myself. But um, I, like I said, I did have some difficulties, but as you guys touched on it, it does does a good job of, of breaking down some of the internal angst and sort of the incestuous nature of, of Boston to, or some parts of Boston to some degree. And um, I, I think later uh, as the film ends, uh, the John Connolly character, we, we see flashed on screen that he doesn't actually give up uh, Whitey Bulger in, in any way. And I think he gets sentenced for his crimes accordingly. And, um, you know, he, as you guys were saying, he, he sort of didn't turn on, on the person who saved him when he was a kid. And we get this this picture that the, the Southie kids are in it together, as it were. Right. Um, yeah. Do you want to move on to the, the next film, which uh, ties together on the, the crime theme, but is slightly different? Um, and that's The Town uh, from 2010, which was directed by Ben Affleck and um, is to do with the, the bank robberies, I believe, in Charlestown. Is that correct, Vaughn? Um, yes. And, um, yep, so, so we have this sort of almost uh, cat and mouse game being played with the, the, the main character, who's the Ben Affleck character, and his his uh, his, his little crime gang who are expert um, bank robbers, and then uh, being chased by John Hamm's FBI agent, and we uh, thankfully don't have John Hamm trying to do an FBI, uh, tr trying to do a, a Boston accent, which is probably mm. a, a good thing. Although we do get one little sentence, which I'm sure Vaughn will recite for us later. <laughs> uh, but um, Jeff, what what do you think of the town, and what's your your impression of how it captures um, this this sort of 2010s or uh, when, it, when it was filmed mm -hmm. in 2010? I'm not quite sure when it, when it was supposed to be set, but this sort of 21st century life of of Boston. Definitely my personal favorite of all the movies we're covering today. Um, I am a huge fan of the town and not just because, you know, it's of course, you know, Boston based, but I think it just does the best job of illustrating all the common things we've been talking about so far 
um, on the pod today, just about the, you know, uh, the, under, the cr criminal underworld, the tight-knit community of Boston, the clash between insiders and outsiders, you know, uh, loyalty to your own people. Um, but I think the biggest reason why I love this movie most of all is just because it is so unapology authentic mm -hmm. in the way it portrays just like the average person of Boston. Like there are just like extras in this movie where it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, I've seen a dozen of those people in the city. <laughs> it's just so like matter of fact. And I was, I was uh, chatting Devon a little bit before the pod where it's like, this movie is at the same time, very aggressive about being a Boston movie, but, but also not being too, not being pretentious about it. Um, I think it just walks that line very, very nicely. And I know it's like definitely, as I was researching the production, it's like definitely like Ben Affleck's big passion project yep. uh, that he wanted to get made for a long time. Um, what, what did you think of the Jeremy Renner character who I believe got Oscar nominated for mm. his performance? And he's, he's very, um, I, I, I don't know the best word to describe him. He, he is willing to take, uh, do violence and willing to take uh, risks when perhaps, perhaps, yeah, perhaps others aren't. And it's, isn't there that scene where um, Ben's uh, having some issue with his, his girlfriend and the girlfriend saying that, well, you know, these guys down the road who were harassing me and he goes into a room to see the Jeremy Renner character and he tells him, well, I'm not going to tell you about the reason why I'm going to do this and you can't ask me about it afterwards, but I, I, I need you to come with me to do something. <laughs> and he goes and does it and beat, you know, beats up this guy. Yeah. And, and it shows you the, Jer the Jeremy Renner's characters. Like he's so wrapped up in, in his own world. Like he's, he, he understands he understands as well he's an authentic representation of that world and yeah. I, I, also, I also think that comes across in in his death as well you know like towards the end of the movie um he's being chased by the the cops he's pretending to be a cop and just as he's going out in his final showdown he he takes a drink on the curb side of the road because they told him you know he has you have a few seconds to go so yeah, I think, and and also there's a sense that he doesn't really want to leave this life either. Mm -hmm. Like he'd be happy to carry on bank robbing. He stayed nine years in prison, you know, waiting for the opportunity to to get to do this again. So yeah, he's a very very sort of self-contained character in this in this mm. Boston world. I, I, but I do think, and I do think it's a great movie. I think it's up there with Heat in terms of. Um, bank robbery movies right. it's really Great fantastic movie. Mm -hmm. um and 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 also it, it's so it's so believable as well and there's a there's a relationship that these characters build with each other like there's a sort of this random uh bank robber who's on the job with them and he's and he's like well i'm gonna hop into the ambulance truck and get out uh, and try to get out that way and you guys can like wear police outfits and he knows he's going on a suicide mission basically and he just mm -hmm. does it and he just not he, he doesn't know anything else and and i do and i do agree with you like it's it's so authentic it reminds me of um get carter's depiction of newcastle where basically most of the um secondary actors or extras were not actually actors at all i'm not sure about 
this movie, but it, there was this 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 sense. I mean, to be honest, like it's a movie about white trash people. Like, there's a lot of movies in these in the, the Boston um, cinematic universe. So it's, like, it, it's just a lot of white trash in, in this fucking movie, and it's magnificent, actually. <laughs> and um, also, like comparing it to like to like Black Mass, I think one of the differences that the John Hamm character he is a real like police officer like he's in the fbi because he doesn't like people who break rules he doesn't have this sort of sympathy for the criminals he there is a character that he works with who did grow up with um you know the, mm-hmm. the ben affleck type characters and but became a police officer as as you see in the departed where you know the the the, the chance for um matt damon's character or um, the other characters to either be a police officer or be, be a criminal like it's it's it could you could be either of those things and you might know some and you police officer who might know some criminals police of, and criminals who know, know police officers but in this movie there's the J- john ham and i think john ham has, has always done this like he's very good at producing characters that judge other people and have a a complete sense of their own morality and their own righteousness that they can that they, they don't show sympathy but it but it doesn't come off as, as as overplayed really so yeah i think i think this is a i think this is a really um fantastic movie in the in the sort mm-hmm. of the boston criminal um universe yeah yeah i think yeah i was before i throw it to you von there was a couple of things i just wanted to mention one was there's a the scene where they're they're beating up the um the guys who had been causing ben affleck's girlfriend some troubles and um jeremy renner shoots him in the leg and he goes there goes college soccer which is quite a funny line um and then uh <laughs> there is um just uh, as we were saying the, the jeremy renner character is is this representation of this loyalty of of kind of the, how loyal he is to his friends who are basically his family at this point and i think he went to jail earlier in his life in order to protect the ben affleck character mm-hmm. and we, we we get this sense a bit like in good world hunting where um it, it's talked about that any one of those characters will, will take a, a baseball bat to anyone's head if he asks them to and you you, you get that within the town as well well where it, it, you know these characters are they they know who they're loyal to and they know who they're supporting and whether that's you know breaking the law or not that that that's not the divide that, that matters it's the the loyalty to to one another which really counts um von you, any thoughts on on the town and uh, your john ham impression i have so many thoughts about this film um one i think uh jeff is like i agree with all of you guys but jeff said that um this film really touches on all of the themes that we're talking about um it has a bit of everything in it i think there's this kind of rivalry between the classes that um rachel hall who is playing ben affleck's girlfriend in this um Mm -hmm. she's not from boston but she's living there she's kind of an outsider she's outside of all of this kind of criminal activity that's going on and that really butts up against his identity and his friends and his lifestyle in southie um, and he says multiple times, like, I'm still not showing you my apartment, which is something that also comes up in Goodwill Hunting, that he doesn't want the, the kind of 
quote unquote like more elite or like the the pure woman that they're dating they don't want them to see where they're from um in in the area um chris cooper says who chris cooper is playing ben affleck's father and he's in prison um he says at one point quote fucking southie kids they want to run everything um i think that really shows the the kind of contention between the different areas of Boston, mm-hmm. um, as we've talked about. There's um, this kind of subplot about the community rec center, the Girls and Boys Club in, in Charlestown where uh, Rachel Hall is working and where Ben Affleck grew up. Um, he's like a local kind of hero for it because he could have gone pro in, in hockey, but he, he just says that he fucked it up somehow. He fucked up the opportunity and threw yeah. it all away as some kind of. It was. Yeah. It was probably fighting. Yeah. I think that's what they mentioned. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the rec center, when they're talking about it, he says the city won't put any money into it. And by the end of the film, they carry out this um, massive heist, which is the most Boston thing I've ever <laughs> seen. They rob Fenway Park they dressed rob as. <laughs> yes um they rob fenway dressed as police officers as toby said and that kind of harks back to that um that art th- theft from 1990 where mm. the, the thieves dressed as police officers so that's already a very ingrained kind of boston uh reference in itself but they're they're robbing fenway they get away with millions of dollars i believe um and Ben Affleck gives it to Rachel Hall and she in turn donates it to the community, to the rec center, because Mm. as he said earlier, quote, the city won't put any money into it. So I think that really highlights the, the like quote unquote progressiveness of Boston, that it's moving along on these mutual fund industries and on the tech center and um, elite universities and hospitals and everything, but it's not actually funding the citizens of Boston um, for a lot of Boston's modern history, the, the city hasn't been funding the actual communities that need, need it. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of fosters this crime mentality all through the latter 20th century and into the 21st. So yeah, I think this is a really brilliant film for looking at Boston, um, especially 21st century Boston. And yes, John Hamm does the worst. Actually, I don't know if it's as bad as ben, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's in... <laughs> black mass because i watched that after i watched this one but he does a very terrible terrible boston accent presumably making fun of ben affleck yes. i think it was by design to, to mock that this is how you <laughs> stupid local people speak um yeah I, I will i won't even attempt to attempt to say what he said um but I think and, he- and there's also that fergie character who's like he's yes uh, he's pete possible yeah yeah he's not he's, he's very irish mm-hmm he he mm. looks at the guys before they're going to do the heist and he says, you know, when I look at you, I see your fathers. So mm. is this sense mm. that there's this sort of stagnation yeah. there? That, that this is this has happened to them. It happened to their their fathers. And there isn't this sort of joyous feel about it. Um, ben Affleck's in part being wrapped up into this because of fear, fear of, 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 of what Fergie could do. Fergie has has a legacy, you know, um, 
impact on on him. He 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 had an impact on on Ben Affleck's mother. He he says that he actually gave her drugs that mm-hmm. led her on the way to suicide. And despite that, Ben Affleck still has to work for him. So he's completely suffocated by the life and the poverty in this in the, in this place and in this period and and I and I I really get the sense that the movie doesn't attempt at all to try to um judge its characters it doesn't really judge Jeremy Renner it doesn't really judge Ben Affleck's character and it and it shows yeah. you through all of its characters, how people can get stuck in in the in these situations. I mean, Blake Lively's character as well is, is another sort of tragic character because she's mm-hmm. looked she's a very attractive you know woman, but she's looked on by Ben Affleck's character as like just you know she, he doesn't want anything to do with her, doesn't want anything to do with the the kid that might be his from her and so she's forced to um communicate with the with the with the fbi and in many ways she's trapped into doing that that and again she's another character that's 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 trapped so there's so many trapped characters here and and it's, it's really really authentic and then on another visceral level it's incredibly exciting like at that moment where john ham's character is tailing jeremy renner when he's about to get away is like it's peak heat it's peak De Niro and Pacino and heat where they're shooting up the the, the town square it's amazing and I, and I and I agree this is the I think this is the best movie on the list interesting um are we wanting to uh move on to our I think we've got two films left now um and then we'll we'll, we'll circle back uh at the end because obviously on the crime side of things we haven't talked about The Departed, which wasn't one of the films we talked about, but does touch upon some similar themes, especially in regard to Black Mass and the, the character there, which was, was based on the Whitey Belger character. Um, so we have two films left to go, and I'll just spoil it now. We've got Spotlight and Manchester by the Sea. Uh, which film would we like to talk about first? Ooh, what's our poison now? These are two very heavy films. They are, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, let's say Spotlight. Let's do Spotlight. Okay, so Spotlight came out in 2015 and actually won the the best uh, uh, film Oscar, uh, the 2016 Academy Awards, and is personally uh, my favorite film on the list and might actually be my my one of my favorite films of the 21st century. Actually, I, I just absolutely love this film. Um, I didn't know too much about the story going in, um, but it, it tells the the story of the the Boston Globe investigation into uh, child abuse. Um, within the Catholic Church and the, the generational nature of it and the, the kind of institutional nature of it. And we have uh, Marty Barron, who is the, the new managing editor of the Boston Globe. And um, his kind of his emphasis to, to kind of push forward with the story, which it's sort of been around in, to, to a smaller degree and been reported on as far as sort of individual uh, abuse scandals. But there wasn't this um spotlight um approach and the spotlight is uh, this uh, group of i think it's four journalists specifically within Mm -hmm. the boston globe who tackle longer term projects within the newspaper to investigate 
um, potential or to investigate stories, and they, they they take a longer time to do this than a standard investigation. And so throughout the film, we get this um, investigation into the into sexual abuse of the past decades, and it's it's harrowing to to, to say the least. You know some of the stories that, that we hear. Some of the, the the conversations they have with those who'd been abused are just just awful, and it's it's a real um, I think credit to the film of the way it, it portrays those characters, and it, it certainly for, as an outsider, it certainly feels like the people they're speaking to are are very authentic, and um, it, it gives this uh, um, viewpoint of these people within these communities who've been preyed upon by these um, uh, these Catholic priests. And as the film progresses, we, we get a greater understanding of the, the sheer sort of institutional nature of it all. And it goes, although the story is more about, you know, the Boston side of things, it goes far beyond that. And we reveal at the end of the, the film about um, the cities all throughout the world where um, the investigations uh, were opened as, as a result of this. Um there's a lot we could go into as far as the different characters, but that kind of sets a tone. Um, Jeff, you, your thoughts on on Spotlight, which, as I say, one of my favorite films of, of the last 20 or 30 years. Yeah, I, I love this film as well. Um, you know, I love it for a lot of the same reasons why I love The Town, just a very authentic portrayal. But I think a, a key difference between those two movies is like The Town is very, you know, loud, aggressive, in your face about its portrayal. But Spotlight, on the other hand, is so subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, in the way that it portrays not only the story, but, you know, of course, the characters in it. Um, I think to really appreciate this movie, you know, it's really important to understand, like, you know, the atmosphere of the city of Boston in the early 2000s, and more specifically, like, the connection with the Catholic Church, which was mm-hmm. and still is a huge bedrock of the Boston community. Um, I don't think that there's any way to overstate like just how significant and groundbreaking this these series of stories were at the time and just how much it has changed people's perception of the church, not just in Boston, of course, but definitely, you know, as we've seen the movie around the country and in many other countries around the world. Uh, Vaughn, your, your thoughts on Spotlight, which I think you hadn't actually seen before we, uh, we were doing the research for this film. Yeah, I hadn't seen it before, but um, I really, really loved it. It was a very powerful film, um, not only because I am madly in love with Michael Keaton, um, <laughs> but but also just because it's, as as you both said, it's, it's powerful um, and it's authentic. And I think that slow build, that slow pace of how kind of um, investigative journalism actually works is really well portrayed in this film um at one point while they're doing research one of the writers uh journalists realizes that one of the priests in the treatment centers is right down the road from him and he asks michael keaton who's their editor he's like i really want to tell my neighbors because they have kids and i don't like i know we're supposed to be um like top secret but Mm -hmm there are kids that could be in trouble. And I think that scene is just so powerful because it shows that Boston is a small city comparatively um, to others. And when they they realize at one point in talking to an expert on um, priests who prey upon children, they realize that 
there could be up to 90 priests in Boston alone that are preying on children. Um, and ultimately at the end of the film, they, they have um, their kind of tickers of what the, the real life stats are and updating the story and all. And it says um, that there were 249 priests in Boston alone and over a thousand survivors. Yeah. And it just, it, this film is so good at showing just how small Boston is and how big of a problem this was that everyone was willing to look away. At one point in their research, after doing all this research, Michael Keaton still cheers with someone for Boston when some of the other journalists on the team are um, really hesitant to even interact with religion or interact with the city anymore because they're just so broken by the the news that they've been uncovering. and it shows that allegiance that people have to Boston and to each other to not kind of rock the boat, really struggling against the need for helping these these survivors of rampant abuse. Yeah, it, it's a really good film. And I think it 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 adds to uh, making Boston a particularly authentic. Uh, city of the Irish Catholics in Boston into a, a group that stands outside of a little bit of the American experience, I think, because mm-hmm. you know, the papers um, looking to run these stories, but there are people connected to the paper who want to actually suppress the stories. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so strange that, that, that you could have in the, you know, in the, the late 90s and the 21st century, the idea that individuals would suppress the story of sexual abuse, but it just goes to show you how that community works and who is the authority in that community, in this working class Irish Catholic community where, you know, sometimes things are not just left unsaid, you know? And that's different in different cultures. Like some cultures are more expressive. Other cultures might suppress things. But, and although it happens everywhere, the incestuousness of it all is particularly interesting in this film. And and again, goes to highlight how Boston and the Irish Catholic experiences is different from the American experience, the general American experience. In, in in many ways i think this the same theme of um rape of uh, young people by priests is in a movie like mystic river for example you know mm-hmm. where the the in the beginning of the movie uh, a police officer comes out again uh, specifically you know irish catholic authority figure and the police officer knows the parents of the kids or it seems to say that they know if that was me and a police officer said that somewhere i'd be like you don't fucking know my parents get the fuck out of here but they (laughs) assume the police officer knows their parents and and then one of the kids goes with them because the the community is so small and the 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 social hierarchy in terms of maturity and authority is very specific and so you know a police officer or and it, a priest, a priest who was in that, or, or poses a priest who was in that car, can take advantage of of of, of young people because the the Catholicism is is, is very strong there, and it, and it's in specifically different from other parts of 
the American experience. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. I, I think for me, one of the things that stands out about Spotlight is that although you know there's a very clear bad side, you know that we we know who who's doing the abusing. There isn't necessarily a a, a sort of shining hero in all of this. That there is a reluctance, I think, on the film's part to to say that you know these specific people are you know the heroes of the story because there's a lot of blame going around that this story was there to be looked at earlier and mm-hmm. this had been sent to the Boston Globe at an earlier stage but had never fully been looked into and the, the victims were never believed in a way that they should have been and it did take a character an outside character to, to kind of help push them in in the right direction throughout certainly the later part of the film there's a there's a kind of a sleep at the wheel kind of um, realization for some of the characters that you know this is their town and it, they let this happen and um the michael keaton character is kind of continuously um having conversations with, with people he knows within you know other institutions such as the catholic church who are kind of leaning on him to kind of suppress the story and not not move forward with it because it'll destroy all the, the, the rest of the good that the Catholic Church are doing. And so mm-hmm. I, what, what I found interesting was, even though it, it is a film about, you know, shining a spotlight on, on these terrible things and, you know, the excellent report, reporting and journalism done by the, by the journalists, you know, I, I, I don't think you would, you know, it's, it, it's not a superhero film. There is no, you know, specifically a grandstanding person who's able to say, you know, how dare you do these things? You know, there's very much that, how did we let this happen? How did we not kind of see this in the town that we supposedly run? And um, there are different characters who hold different viewpoints, but one of the most interesting characters is the the lawyer who is uh, played by... um, Oh, I forget. Stanley, Stanley Tucci. Tucci. Yeah. Stanley and, you know, he's the one who's been kind of banging his head against the wall trying to pr- progress with this. And he's, they talk about like him, he's some sort of crazy flake who couldn't possibly be listened to. And, you know, he he's the one who's even towards the end of the film where the characters are, you know, now digging into this this further investigation. He He's dealing with some new kids who have just come in and been abused. And it's this sort of never-ending cycle for for him, who's who's having to deal with it. So yeah, as we said before, it's it's a very powerful film, and it's a very, in part, it's a very difficult watch. But it's a film I found to be very rewatchable because of the approach it takes, the even-handedness of the way it deals with the the central characters who are investigating this, and just how how well it does, how well the film does of portraying this investigation and. Uh, the story they dig into and although this is a very specific you know boston catholic story you you could imagine a a similar story with different themes and different elements of it being taken to another city to investigate you know Mm -hmm. a a different scandal or a a different um um travesty of of justice and of of terror over the last few decades um we should probably move on to the the last film now which is manchester by the sea uh by Kenneth Lonergan came out in 2016 and I believe it won Best Original Screenplay and it won Best Actor Award for Casey Affleck who, who gives a, a fantastic performance as the central character as as Lee Chandler and as we're introduced to him he's um, I think a, a, a sort of repairman janitor who, who's who's very um, 
loner figure and is is grief stricken. We find out later on that how we understand uh, understand why and is to do with his him being responsible for um, his his child's death when he was in, in the marriage to Michelle Williams' character. And um, so those are the past events and the, the current events are him processing the fact. I believe it's his brother who, who's just died. And he's now taking um, custody of his of his his nephew, uh, played by Lucas Lucas Hedges. So um, it's an extremely tough film. I didn't. I watched a few months ago and didn't actually rewatch it again just because um, some of the, the scenes are, are particularly tough. Um, Vaughn, was this your first time watching Manchester by the Sea um, in advance of this podcast? Um, it was. I had purposely not watched this for a very long time um, because I knew it was so heavy. And when I finally just sat down and watched it, it was an experience. It's, yeah. It is a very tough watch um, and very emotional all the way throughout. Um, I think this film really captures a lot of the kind of guilt that's associated with Boston, especially Catholic guilt. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of it. And I think that comes out in, in most of the films that we've chosen, definitely not Legally Blonde, but um, there's pressure in Boston. And this isn't necessarily tied to that, um, except in that the nephew is like, why are you in Boston? Why can't you just move here? Why do I have to move to Boston with you? Mm -hmm. And he doesn't understand um, Casey Affleck's character's kind of trauma of being in his, his small town uh, in Manchester. And there's a lot of pressure on like, you're just a janitor, you can do that anywhere. Why do you have to be in Boston to do it? I don't wanna go to Boston. And there's a lot of kind of prejudice of, of the people outside of Boston on the city. Um, and Casey Affleck never, at least on screen, uh, explains it to his nephew, what is going on with him personally and in his head. He, he breaks down on him a bit at the end and just says, I can't beat it. Um, it being his severe depression and the, the PTSD that he has of being in this town and reminding him of, of his three children and ex-wife and his former life, really. Um, yeah, it's a very heavy film, but it feels very authentic also, I think, to a lot of the kind of life experiences of people that I do know in Boston and in the area in Massachusetts. Um, it's also authentic in that the Manchester Fire Department and EMS were in the film. Um, all of those scenes of the fire breaking out and in the hospitals, um, all of it, they're actual uh, responders for the area. And they actually changed some of the scenes to make it more authentic and um, correct some of the, the kind of depictions in the film. Um, in the scene where the firefighters are carrying the, the bodies out of the house. The director wanted them to do it all at once. Um, and the fire department said, we do it one by one for respect, to give respect to the bodies. Um, so those little elements in this film really bring a lot of reality to it and make it just so harrowing to watch. Uh, Jeff, your thoughts on, on the film and its portrayal of, of, of the area? 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, you know, very emotionally heavy film. Um, you know, interestingly, it's it's the only film on our list that is is not explicitly set, quote unquote, within Boston. Uh, you know, Manchester by the Sea is a very small town north of Boston, uh, right along the coast. Um, I think a big reason why I definitely wanted to talk about it as part of our list is because um, there's this whole other part of being from Boston and identifying with Boston. And that's like, you know, the vacationing aspect of things. Uh, you know, Massachusetts yeah. is a huge tourist uh, place, especially for people who want to go to the great beaches um, around Boston and along a place called Cape Cod and places along the coast like Manchester by the Sea. Um, so there's a lot of focus on, you know, the summer months where everyone's happy, everyone's on the beach, getting a tan, having a good time. Uh, but I think this movie definitely portrays the flip side of that, where it's like, you know, when it's fall and winter, where when this movie is set, you know, there are people who live in these places all year round and they're not tourists. Like they're not, you know, coming from, they're not vacationing there. They live there and there's really nothing to do in these places except just try to live your life. Um, I think this movie just does a great job in just portraying like what a family goes through who just lives in one of these places um, and just feels like they're trapped there and is just ridden with a lot of this, you know, like Vaughn said, this guilt and this responsibility to just like, you know, keep staying where they are. I think mm -hmm. it's a definitely a big part of, you know, being from, especially like these small towns around the Boston area. Yeah, absolutely. As someone obviously from the outside, I obviously don't know the area as well as you guys, but I, I, I think that's a good summation of this sort of um, a, a small town from outside of the city where you know lots of vacationing and what have you. And I, I know from growing up in in Scotland, you know there are lots of small towns which are kind of separated from larger cities, which you know tourists will come and visit in in the summer, and then will be kind of uh, desolate in, in in the winter and it can be quite sort of depressing uh, depression uh, riddled places with the sort of um the sort of small town life especially if if you have such um truly traumatic incidents happen um as the casey affleck character goes through um is there anything else we'd like to add on this film before we we get on to um sort of summing things up okay well if there's Oh, sorry, on your Google. Just on, on his shelf, there's a market basket basket uh, brand cereal, and it's a knockoff of Cheerios, and it's called Tastios. And I remember eating market basket Tastios when I was a kid, and it really brought me back. <laughs> anyway, that's it. That's my only note. Th thank you. That, that, that was definitely <laughs> worth it. Thank you. No, I it's genuinely mean <laughs> That is truly authentic, then. Um Right, okay, so we've gone through the six films and we've managed to do it in under three hours, which is better than what we did with the last um, last episode we did. Um, impressive. Impressive. Um, who would like to start as far as just kind of, I know we've already talked kind of around this a lot, but as far as just sort of a, a general feeling of Boston on film, is there anything else we'd like to cover? Any, um, qu you know, quickly, any other films that you'd like to kind of shout out as far as its depiction of, of Boston? Um, well, I think I would like to shout out Mystic River. I think it's a great travesty, actually. This is not on, on the list because it actually has the Irish Catholic mobster element in it while also having the sort of the 
the past tragedy of Manchester by the Sea, the past tragedy of uh, an, uh, one of the characters being raped in the movie. Also, this sort of tight knit aspect that you get in Mystic River, where you have you start with uh, the preamble is three boys. One of them grows up to be a gangster and goes to prison, uh, and uh, he gets into the Savage Boy gang. One of them becomes a cop, and then one of them has this this tragedy that happens to them when they're they're raped when they're young, and obviously, actually, it's not based on a true story at all. It's it's uh it's fiction. Yeah, it's a novel. But it, based on a novel, is that right? Yeah, it's based on a novel. Yeah, so it so it's. But what it does, I think it, it, it makes Boston into a genre within itself and sort of many of the tropes of the Boston movies come out in this movie. So it is a very tight knit community. There is this, this sort of psychological tragedy that, that people are going to. There, there is this uh, police drama in there as well. So yeah, it's, I think it really covers a lot of the themes that we've Hmm. Yeah, we've really talked about on this this podcast. And just to add to that, the um the another another film which I think might have been based um on the same writer, I think, was Gone Baby Gone, which was um the actual uh, directing debut of Ben Affleck and again starred Casey Affleck um in the central role and detective and he there's uh, or private detective and again that there's similar stuff to do with crime and child abuse and very harrowing scenes and I, th- I remember seeing it a few years ago it came out in 2007 I would have probably seen it maybe a couple of years later and again it, it did paint Boston or the specific um, image of Boston as kind of being sort of this this small town feel to it and this this sort of incestuous sort of crime crime nature of it combined with the the child abuse side which obviously is tied to boston very sadly so um again just adding to the to the um mystic river side of things i think gone baby gone is a, another interesting film although we sort of cover it in parts with the the other films that we've talked about on the list uh, the other the one probably worth shouting out is the departed which we um is tied together with uh, Black Mass and is um, sort of an all-star cast of, of a crime film. Well, I think it was based on um, Internal Affairs, which was a Hong Kong movie. And it was... Yeah, really... like I'd seen Internal Affairs. Yeah. And obviously, like, it has the same sort of na- broad narrative structure. Mm-hmm. But you can see that what Scorsese did was just to dump Boston enos on it but not in a way that's cheap he made it deeply authentic and you still you still have the characters that really come out of the the boston experience all the boston cinematic experience and you could see that like boston is already pulled for even foreign uh films and um scripts you would just dip boston on them and, and they become a boston movie yeah and we also have um some good and some bad accents in The Departed as well. Uh, yes. Jeff, Jeff, I was going to say, is any any anything you'd like to touch on that we've already just mentioned here? Or any other films you'd like to to briefly mention with regards to Boston? Yeah, I mean, I'll just shout out one film uh, that's definitely my favorite. Mine. It's uh, called The The Fighter, yeah. uh, with Mark Wahlberg and Christian Bale. Um, 
Surprised we haven't mentioned Mark Wahlberg on the pod yet. He's uh, yes. he's one of the you know the Boston's favorite sons, for better or worse. Even though he's a bit of a knucklehead. Uh, yeah, well, he's got the Departed. He's got uh, the Fighter. He's got Patriots Day. I mean, he he's got Ted. Um, he's he is one of, one of those Boston film um, icons, I guess. At this point, yeah, yeah, just a great film. Uh, well, it's set in uh, Lowell, Massachusetts, which is. Like a, like a like a mini Boston of sorts, um, just you know, profiles uh, one of Massachusetts' most famous boxers, played by uh, Mark Wahlberg, and he's trained by Christian Bale, his brother, and just you know, profiles their family and just all the the drama that comes with growing up in an Irish Catholic family that loves to fight with each other. Vaughn, you're a big fan of Lowell, from what I understand from what we said <laughs> before. Um, yeah, biggest fan of Lowell, Lowell, Massachusetts, great place. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything you'd like to add to the, uh, the, uh, or, or is there anything you'd like to add, or is there any uh, impersonations you'd like to do of any of the characters we've talked about so far? I know you want me to, Simon. Yeah, I mean, no. please, if you if you want to break out <laughs> Phil Boston for the remainder of this episode, that's fine. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Um, Go on, say 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 Rochester. Say it. Say Rochester. Rochester. You can't do it. You can't do it. <laughs> She's, she's not, she's not busted. Jeff, you do it. Oh, I say Dorchester. <laughs> Dorchester. Did you say Dorchester or Rochester? I said well, Rochester. Well, Dorchester it's Dorchester and it's Rochester. Yeah. Is it Dorchester? Dorchester. It's both, but you know, we're talking about Boston, so you gotta go to Dorchester. Dorchester. <laughs> um, I would just say one thing that we've very vaguely touched on, but I'm gonna just reiterate, is that most of these films are made by the same people. That like yep. so many of these casts overlap except oh, yeah. for um black mass which is the most hollywood of the films on this list i think um yep. we have so much like victor garber and ben affleck and they're just all like in each other's films and everything because of that very tight-knit community of what living in boston is like um i think and that's just something to comment on on boston films and one that i would add is Fever Pitch, because it's great. It's a fun film. Boston <laughs> seems lovely in it. And it also highlights the obsession with the Red Sox that yes. we haven't touched on at all yet. But <laughs> the, the obsession with the Red Sox and the um, the rivalry with the Yankees. Well, I was going to say, we, we've talked about institutions, but really Red Sox is kind of... Kind the of yeah, it, it flows through some of the Boston films that we've already talked about um, and some of the... The, the the stories that we hear about Boston. In fact, we see some scenes. I think I think Spot, doesn't Spotlight have a scene where they they go and uh, watch watch them play? Yeah, they're um, in Fenway. Yeah, they have the shittiest seats ever, and it's so realistic. <laughs> yes, it's so great. I'm pretty sure we sat there for Paul McCartney. Like that is yeah, right field line between third base yeah. and like deep right. Yeah, we were right there. We, we were when I was watching it. I was like, I know that view. It's terrible. <laughs> but, no, it's great. Yeah. 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 Fear pit. Fun Fear film. Pit. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Is there anything anyone would like to uh, add or Toby, is there any other requests you'd like to make for Boston accents before we, we hang up? Because mm. <laughs> okay, one of you say Harvard Yard. Harvard Yard? That wasn't good. No, I, th- I, thought I was used good. to say that. That was good. Hawker no, Harvard no, Yard. Dump the no. tea in the harbor. Ooh. Yes. Yeah, that's the Boston sentence. <laughs> Talk the cod, have a yacht, dump the tea in the harbor. 
Oh, well. Master class for John Ham over here. <laughs> Roll the star market. You and the boys. It's terrible. That's how John Ham sounds. I worked at a star market for three years. Stop, did you? I did. That line ring, That line is very close to my heart. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, we should probably go before um, we indoctrinate Vaughn too much back into her Boston lifestyle. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I can already tell that the accent is, already start, in there. is starting to take hold. And she will... Um, Fuck you, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful. Okay. Uh, I, I was going to say, is there any other abuse you'd like to hurl at me in uh, in Bostonian slang? But Boston. uh, you can feel free to do that after we finish the recording, if you wish. Um, uh, you, certainly- you certainly will. Okay. Right. Well, we should we should probably finish up there. Um, Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today to talk about Boston films. It was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed it too. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, guys. And uh, Vaughn and Toby, thank you. And Vaughn, thank you very much for your uh, extra uh, Boston accents at the end. That was much appreciated. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome yeah, I, I thought this is this is great. It's great to have people, authentic people from the from the community to. Absolutely, sounds like an outreach program and. <laughs> Right. Okay. Well, uh, we will have another city to cover for our uh, America on film. Um, it might be next that we we go go off to Philly, um, mm, which again yes. would be another connection to Vaughn and her previous life as an American before she gave it all away to hang out with us Brits. Um, so uh, that that might be uh, uh, the next city we cover, but we've not quite finalised that yet. But um, yes. If it is, expect more accents from Vaughn when we do that one. Um, okay, so from, from Jeff, from Toby, uh, from Vaughn and myself, Simon, thank you very much for listening and uh, take care. Goodbye. Bye. Bye, Dom.